When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Secret Squad. It's my favorite day of the week. So I'm back with a new episode of I've Got a Secret. Today's episode is all about setting healthy boundaries in your life. This is a topic I think absolutely everyone can benefit from. People pleasing, overextending ourselves, and the fear of letting others down are such common issues for so many of us. To help me, I have Nedra Glover Tawab, clinical therapist, boundaries expert, and founder of Kaleidoscope Counseling. Nedra's philosophy is that a lack of boundaries and assertiveness underlie most relationship issues. Her gift is helping people create fulfilling, healthy relationships through implementing boundaries with themselves and others. I cannot wait to get into this. This is The Secret to Building Boundaries. So, Nedra, how are you today? I am well. How are you? I'm just doing so great, and I have looked so forward to this podcast because I think our topic that we're going to speak about and that you specialize in is so needed in our lives today, don't you? Absolutely. From the time we're born, we should be taught boundaries, right? Yes. Or how to have our boundaries honored. I totally agree with you. And I also hear you're a big fan of the Dr. Phil show. I am a big fan. I am. This is true. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. I think I think he's brilliant. I, I bet you do. <laughs> I have to tell you, we've we've been together almost 50 years. And I have. Oh, wow. What a blessing. Yes. Yes. And I, I have to tell you that from the day I met him, I have always thought that he's brilliant. So I say that as often mm. as I can. Does he have healthy boundaries? He does. He really does. Yeah. He, yeah. My husband has the way that he's assertive about things. It has taught me like, wow, you just said that. Uh-huh. Say that too. It's, it's so motivating to watch other people place boundaries. It really does give you courage. And I can imagine with his years of experience and, and just watching, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, I could probably say that. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I always thought it was odd that when we moved out here to LA and he started the Dr. Phil show, uh, the press really would always write, he's that in your face kind of style. And I thought that is not true at all because he can be assertive and never, ever have to be in your face type or, you know, raise his voice. He never raises his voice or he never, ever gets in anyone's face because he knows how to be assertive and have a boundary without doing that. Yeah, just in watching the show, you see him placing boundaries and encouraging other people to do it. And it is so interesting that the takeaway from that is, oh, he's pushy. And it's like, mom, have you asked the kid to go to bed? It's just like this very, it's like, wow, was that pushy? It's like, that's aggressive. So I wonder if people really got aggressive, what we think. But, you know, sometimes saying anything to people, it's just like, oh my gosh, this person is so pushy and in your face. It's like, well, I think what you're saying is pretty passive aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I've just always just been in awe of how calm he really is and how calm he can be and still have such a profound message. So tell us about how you got started as a therapist and why you felt that boundaries needed specific attention. Well, I got started as a therapist. I don't know. I've always had this skill of listening and being able to hear the story under the story. And I am intrigued by people sharing. And so becoming a therapist, my first client, it was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like it felt very organic. I was super shocked that I would be paid to do such a thing because I've been doing it for years. Just listening to people, you know, hearing stories, sharing stories. I'm like, this is good. Like this, this is my job. Wow, I love this. So it, it's a natural progression of, of who I am and what I like to do with people. And my 
very um, first client at my internship was a case of family enmeshment. And we talked a lot about how to be an adult because this was a person who was still living with their parents and still being parented in a way um, that made them seem like an adolescent and not an adult. And so we talked a lot about how to establish boundaries in your family. And at the time we didn't use the word boundaries. We just used like enmeshment and how to be yourself and all of these things. But it was, it was the first time that I really talked about boundaries. And over the years, as I work with people, I see how so many things are boundary related and we like, we don't even recognize it like work-life balance, many issues that, um, women face in their relationships with role distribution, parenting of children, so many things where we're teaching people how to speak up for themselves in this assertive way. And again, yeah, the concern is I don't want to be mean. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And so we have to really work on the programming around if you say something to someone that you're trying to hurt them instead of when I say things to people, I am trying to feel safe and comfortable in my relationship. Mm, I love that. So what is your definition of healthy boundaries? It's that. It's statements and behaviors that make you feel comfortable and safe in your relationship. Sometimes the boundary is verbal. It is us saying something. And sometimes it is us doing something. For example, I hear a lot of um, people are calling me all day when I'm working from home. And the boundary that we could set is putting a do not disturb on our phone during our work hours. That is a behavior that we can take on on our end. And we don't even have to inform this other person. It's like, you can turn your phone off. You have that power. Uh-huh. It's so true. And boundaries are not modified based on specific relationships, correct? They should be consistent. Mm-hmm. You don't have to modify them for every relationship, or do you? So I think it depends on what the boundary is. Of course, there are going to be some relationships that are a bit more difficult, and we may have to, you know, engage some boundaries that we don't have in other relationships. But I think in general, you know how you want to be treated. You know, if you're having a disagreement with someone, you don't want them yelling at you. And that is, yes, across the board. So not your partner, not your kids, not your boss. No one. You would would like for people to use a calm tone when they're delivering things. So, yes, that's a boundary that would be consistent. But I do think that based on the person, there may be some boundaries that you have to bring up that you don't even have to mention to other people. I think of, you know, the people in your life who may struggle with um, some addictions. And let's say it's it's alcohol and you want to hang out with this person, you would have boundaries with that person and maybe not boundaries with the other people in your life who drink because their drinking isn't problematic. Right. And don't you agree that once you raise your voice when you're speaking to someone, whether you're wanting to tell them how you feel, express your boundary with them, you've lost control because once you raise your mm-hmm. voice, they're not listening to you anymore. Don't you agree? Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, raising the voice definitely puts a person on arm and it certainly puts those defenses up where they're like, whoa, what is happening? And I don't know about you, but whenever I yell, I instantly get a headache. I hate yelling. I hate yelling. I get a headache and I'm like, why did I yell? Yes. (laughs) I'm like, what age do you become unable to yell? I'm going to go with 25. I couldn't yell after 25. (laughs) I'm getting a headache now when I yell. So I really prefer not to do it. I feel out of control. I get really frustrated with myself. It's like, I can't remember the last time I yelled, quite honestly. Uh, Certainly, I never would ever wanted to yell at my children. Philip and I don't yell at each other. I didn't grow up in a home like that uh, where my parents never yelled at each other, never yelled at us. And so for me to be around someone that was yelling at each other all the time, it really upsets me. It bothers me because I had a friend growing up, her parents were they yelled at each other all the time. And, and I said, I've got to go home. I can't take this. And she said, why? What's happening? What's wrong? And I said, the, the way y'all yell at each other all the time, it, it really bothers me. I, I can't take it. She goes, we're not yelling. 
So they didn't, she didn't even consider that yelling. That We're not fighting. We're not yelling. I said, no, but you are. You don't, you don't think you're all, you're fighting and yelling and screaming. She goes, no, they're just, they're just talking. They're just in there conversing. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But I remember that. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to live a life like that. I'm not going to raise my children in a home like that where there's constant screaming and yelling and so that was a boundary that Philip and I both set with each other when before we ever got mm-hmm. married. We're not going to live in a chaotic home. We're not going to scream and yell at each other. And we're not going to have that kind of relationship. So that was a boundary we set before we ever got married, that that's the kind of Did marriage. Did you talk about it? Oh, yes. We had lots oh, of yeah. conversations before we got married about what kind of marriage we wanted and what kind of boundaries we wanted in our marriage as far as just that very thing. Like when we discuss something, we don't need to raise our voices. It's so beautiful when couples have conversations about how they want their relationship to be. One of the things I notice when I'm working with couples is there are so many conversations that are assumed and not had. So they assume um, the person knows you shouldn't yell at people. It's like, well, have we set that agreement? Have we set the agreement of what fidelity is? Have we set the agreements about finances? And often the it's the case of, no, they should just know. And I don't think a lot of things are, are common knowledge. I don't truly believe in common sense. I think there are some things that we are taught and others are not. That's so true. And if if we want them to know something, uh, it's our job to tell them. Maybe I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm irritating people by saying like, hey, can you take your coat off? Can you take, they're like, what? You know, you don't know, but I think it just makes sense to let people know what you need, yes. even your partner, because some things are not known to people, especially about you. That's so like true. we have all of these things about us that we know that to be in these relationships and for them to really be healthy, we have to tell people, I don't like dark, dark chocolate. I would prefer if if people didn't yell at me, please do this. You know, the and it's different for everyone. It doesn't mean that you have to respect everybody in this same way. But for Robin, this is what you do. For Nedra, this is what you do. And, and everybody's happy. And, and I will respect those things about you. That's so true. You know, it just reminded me also of a conversation Philip and I had right at the early stage of our marriage. I can remember growing up, I would get my way with my father. I was very close with my father and I was the youngest. I have a twin brother. Youngest, of, We were the youngest of five children and we were the babies. We were the twins. And so, yeah, we were a little spoiled with our parents. And so if I didn't like something or was upset about something, I would pout. I would just like, cross my arms, you know, and my father would go, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, nothing, nothing, you know. So I was just a powder. And then I got what I wanted. He'd say, oh, I don't like to see you upset. What, what's wrong? You know, like, what would make you happy? And that, that kind of thing. So I kind of got away with things by pouting or got what I wanted. And so I'm embarrassed to admit that I kind of, it stuck with me all the way up until I met Philip. And I was 19 when I met Philip and we got married and I kind of carried that trait with me and I I would tend to pout. And he was like, are you pouting? I said, and I'll never forget when he called me on it. And I was like, kind of, yes. He goes, well, wh- <laughs> why, why are you pouting? I said, well, you, you, you upset me when you did this or said this. I remember it was over something that he said. I said, I didn't like what you said. And I can remember saying to him like, I can't really remember what it was because it was the day before. I said, it was just your tone and whatever you said. He goes, and you're still pouting about it? You're still upset about it? You didn't even tell me? (laughs) And I I mean, it was, we ended up laughing really, but he said, listen, this is not going to work if you're going to pout. And I can't take pouting. I said, yeah, okay, you're right. And he goes, and I'll make a deal with you right now. He goes, if I do something or say something that upsets you, if you'll just tell me, I'll never do it again. Mm. Because I know now if I do it, I do it full well knowing it's going to upset you. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. So we both made that deal. So it was something that really we both appreciated. I love hearing that when someone says to you that they notice your behavior, it just immediately disarms you. And you're like, oh, 
wait, I was pouting. Yes. Because sometimes we're not aware of our go-to coping skill, right? right. Like um, I am a reformed nail biter. And many times when I was biting my nails, I never noticed it. And people would like, like your hand is in your mouth. I'm like, is it? Yes. yes. <laughs> like, I don't even, I don't even notice that I'm doing it. And once I started noticing like, oh, I was able to redirect the behavior. But for years, it was just like this unconscious way of being. And I think we do that with so many parts of our personality, whether it's nail biting, pouting, um, whatever it is, we're just, we just get into these habits and it works. Like pouting was effective for you. You eventually got what you wanted. You said that. So yeah. Even yeah, when it's... even when we were speaking before about raising our voice, I think a lot of times people will raise their voice. And if if the other person in the relationship doesn't say, do you realize that you're raising your voice right now? Do you realize that you're, you've raised your voice and that's not effective mm-hmm. for me? And sometimes I think when you say that to someone, they go, oh, I didn't realize I'd raised my voice. What is it about even a partner that makes us so fearful of being honest. I noticed that people will come, couples will come to therapy just to be honest because they don't feel comfortable being honest with their partner without the support of a therapist. I think that's such an interesting thing. I remember once I had someone just come in and say, "I want the first time, last time ever seeing them, I want a divorce. And that was the opening and closing. Oh. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, but it, the, the partner didn't know. So, you know, I had to like, you know, I, I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> but they were like, they wouldn't listen to me. I've been trying to say it, but it's like, it's so interesting that you could have like these ways that you're trying to say something and a person not hear you to the point where you're like, oh, we have to talk about this in front of someone so you can really hear me. So let's talk about the guilt that can often come with setting healthy boundaries. Is it common for people to feel rude or feel disappointed when saying no to others? Yeah, and it's that way because of our programming. We are taught to feel bad for so many things, for making people feel a certain way. I hear parents say all the time, don't say that to them. You'll make them sad. Don't do that to so-and-so. You'll make them feel this. Look at me. I'm sad because you did this. So we're unconsciously, because none of us want our kids to feel you know, bad for real, but we do it without even know that we're doing it. And these, these children, you know, I used to be a child, used to be a child, we become adults. And now we are hyper-conscious of everything that we say and how it impacts people. And so the guilt really comes from believing that we're doing a bad thing, even if it's a good thing. Because doing a bad thing and feeling guilty, that is appropriate. But sometimes, you know, particularly with boundaries, we're not doing anything bad. We're telling someone we can't come to a birthday party. We're not robbing a bank. Yeah, that's <laughs> so that's like, true. <laughs> that's so true. It's like... Like, hey, I can't come to your birthday party, but we're getting the same feeling as if we're doing like a really bad thing. And it's like, no, you just you're sick. And so really, a lot of the work of boundaries is really believing that you can have some with people. Exactly. Because we feel like we can't. Yep. That's it. And why is it that so many people automatically feel the guilt? When instead of saying to themselves, I'm not going to feel guilty about that because I have a right to say no. Do you feel Mm -hmm. like they tend to go towards the guilt feeling first instead of saying, no, I'm not going to feel guilty. I have a right to say no. Many people lean towards the guilt. I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. Women in particular, we are really trained to take care of everything and make sure everyone is feeling okay. I think men feel guilty too, and their expression of it is a bit different than ours. Our expression of it is burnout, depression, anxiety, all of these things. And I think men, you know, they do have an easier time saying, no, I can't do that because 
society is more accepting of them saying no than women. When women say no, we receive this label as, you know, somebody you don't want to work with, someone who is a diva, someone, and, and, and a diva could simply be, you know, they could simply ask you, you know, what would you like to have in your room? And you say ice cold water and they're like, oh, she's a diva. Uh-huh. It's like, you asked me, what did I want? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, what do you want to eat? Eggs and bacon. Oh, diva. (laughs) So, you know, you're, you're given, you know, these, these really toxic labels just for saying what you want. I I was reading, um, I think Mariah Carey's autobiography, and she was talking about how Aretha Franklin refused to perform at some event because it was outside in the, in the winter time. And Aretha said, I'm not singing outside. That's horrible for your, for your vocal cords. And Mariah said she did it. She put her scarf on and she was sick the next day oh. <laughs> because she didn't want to be perceived as mean. And she's like, why didn't I listen to, you know, because it's the, it's this perception of you're so terrible. And it's like, this is your instrument. This is your instrument. The conditions are not supporting you being able to use your instrument today. Yes. She learned so, a life lesson from Aretha Franklin, didn't she? She did. And I did too. That, yes. you know, sometimes you have to say no, even when people will be displeased by it. That's right. Do you agree also that for women, hearing a no is often less stressful than giving a no? So... I think if you want to be better at saying no, you have to be really good at hearing no. And we have to really practice stopping ourselves from trying to talk people out of their no's. Because so many of us do it and we do it on kind. We'll try to, no, I can't come because, you know, I don't have a sitter. Or somebody who could watch it, just let the person not come. It's like, just let them say no and leave them alone. Because what we're doing then is telling them that no is not okay. You have to have a more valid reason. Let me think of some ways to help you. Just allow people to say no. So as much as we talk about, yes, have boundaries, we really have to do a better job of respecting boundaries. I completely agree with you. I think that is so true that we just need to allow people to say no and not make them give a reason why. Yeah. Yeah. My seven-year-old was saying how she doesn't like nuts. And one of my friends said, well, why don't you like nuts? And she said, do I have to have a reason? And I said, no, you do not. You don't. I love that. Yeah. You don't have to have a reason. I meant, and you don't have to make one up. (gasps) That's wonderful. Uh, but you're so proud of her. I am so proud. Yes, they teach me a lot about boundaries. I could go on. I could write a book about them. Oh, uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think kids are, they are great teachers if you really tune into the lesson. Yes. Because their boundaries are so organic and it's so pure. They're really not trying to hurt feelings when they tell you, I don't like your food. You know, it's like, they're not, or I don't want to hug you, or I don't want to hug this person. I don't want to go over so-and-so's house because they're me. You know, like, just say stuff. They're not thinking about, oh, who do I have to please with my comment? They're like, oh, did that hurt your feelings? Exactly. (laughs) Never mind. That's okay. It's all right. I'll get over it. (laughs) It's so true. They're just, they're really just innocent children who really care only about themselves. But that's mm-hmm. refreshing because they they don't have time to be worried about everyone else. They're pretty much in survival mode. And that's great too. We want them to care mm-hmm. about themselves and, mm-hmm. and care about what makes them happy. And then we guide them through the process of being polite and respectful and everything else. But we also... Really, though, we want them to care about themselves. Absolutely. I was talking to a woman earlier this week, and she said her and her daughter had mommy-daughter massages. And they were on the table getting these massages, and she was thinking, oh, my God, this is too much pressure. And she heard her daughter say, hey, can you stop? This is hurting me. And she said, I have been thinking about it for 30 minutes. And my daughter just (laughs) very clearly said 
please stop. I love that. The but innocence of a child. Yeah, they're constantly teaching us. She's like, this is this too much pressure. Can you be a little more gentle? I love that. So how yeah. can we shift our perspective from does this person like me to do I like this person? So here's the thing. We don't have to like everyone and everyone will not like us. And the sooner we understand that, the better we'll be because it doesn't mean anything bad about you. I often think about um, my dislike of baked fruit and how everyone around me seems to love apple pies and banana pudding and all of these things. And I'm like, yuck, it's nothing wrong with them. It's not my preference. And we are the same way. And we feel that way about people. And we really have to come to this understanding of People can be really great and we can't have very cordial relationships with them without having to like all parts of them and invite them into our inner circle. That's so true. You know, when Philip and I were first married, this was actually probably our first argument, but uh, I had been over at his sister's home and she said something really that offended me. I was like, ah. And I was, went home in kind of a huff and I walked in and I said, you're not going to believe what your sister said to me. And he looks up and, and I said, she said, blah, 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 blah. and I said, I just, I, I just cannot believe it. She had no right to say that to me. And I just knew he was going to say, she's horrible. And, you know, just join the bandwagon with me. And he goes, actually, yes, she did. And I went, what? He goes, yes, she had, <laughs> she had every right to say that to you. I was like, Oh my God, who are you? Who is this man I'm married to? What Dr. Field, oh and God. he gives it to you straight. And I and I just <laughs> turned in, in a huff and I went out of the room and I went into our bedroom and I laid on the bed. It was like, I cannot believe this is my husband. I can't believe he just sided with his evil sister and he didn't say wonderful things to me and da, da, da. And so I just pouted. I guess you could say I was pouting in the bedroom and I stayed in there for hours and he was in the other room and he was working on schoolwork. And I just was like, I just can't believe it. I, and so hours passed and then I got hungry and I was going to go in the kitchen and I wasn't even going to speak to him. I just kind of walked past him, looking in the refrigerator and I felt his presence come in. We had a little tiny apartment. He comes in and filled up the whole kitchen. And I looked at him and just kind of looked away and he goes, are you ready to finish our conversation? And I went, what? He goes, well, you stormed out. You didn't let me finish what I was going to say. And I went, and I just kind of stood there for a minute. I was like, oh, dear, he's right. And he goes, you said she had no right to say that. And I said, yes, she did. And I went, oh, my gosh, you're doing it again. He goes, but let me finish. You also have every right not to react. I was like, mm. oh, <laughs> he's right. I thought, oh, my gosh. He goes, but you stormed out of the room before I could finish. He goes, you can't control what my sister says and does. He goes, she's always going to say things like that. She has a right to say whatever she wants, but you also mm -hmm. have a right not to react to it because you can't mm -hmm. control her. You can only control you. And you're wonderful and precious. And, da -da, and, you know, and then he went on to say all the wonderful things I wanted him to say earlier, expected him to say. But what he really was saying was so true. He goes, you have a right not to react. Why do you care what she says? Why do you care what she mm. thinks? All you need to care about is what you think and what you care about. And he said, of course, and then what I think and what I care about. And I was like, oh, okay. But it was so true. It was so <laughs> true. And that was a life lesson yes, for me. psychology is the best romance. Yes, it <laughs> Yes, because I went he from... He gave you some good psychology. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I went from just being so upset that I married this man that I didn't know <laughs> to being so in love with him even more because it's true. And it, I think it applies even to our topic today. It's like we have a right to set the boundaries for ourselves and allow ourselves to not react to what everyone else says about us, what everyone else thinks about us. It's really what matters is our boundaries within ourselves, right? I believe over the years, I've set some boundaries in a very nice way. Just sometimes just like, no, I can't do that. No, that doesn't work for me. People have been so upset. Yeah. Yep. Did you hear how I stated those boundaries? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, because you know, when I saw my sister-in-law the next time and every day after that for the next 45 years, nothing she ever said upset me. And it was just wonderful. Life was wonderful. That is a beautiful skill to master. Um, and it's certainly one that we can practice over and over again, because whether it's a, a sister-in-law, mother-in-law, oh gosh, mother-in-laws, I get so many questions about what, how do I deal with my mother-in-law? What can I do with my mother-in-law? And, you know, the biggest thing we can do is choose our response because you really can change the way that somebody, you can't change what they ask you, their, their personality. You can't change any of that stuff. This woman has been, you know, this way for years and you're not coming in and, you know, making her this sort of person. But what you can do is really work on how you react to the people in your life that are call it, causing you all of these issues because we can't change them. That's so true. It's a choice, isn't it? Yeah, my, my biggest question is often, if you can't change them, what do you want to do about you? I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah, people come to therapy and when they start, it's so interesting because so much is about how do I get this person to do this? How do I get this person to that? This person is doing this. What can I get them, you know, just changing people. And as we spend more time together, the conversation does turn more inward. And what can I do when this person blanks? How can I help myself not be so reactive? Because, you know, I'm straight up and I say, I cannot change people. You cannot change people. You are here today in this space and you have the power to change you. Now, if they come here, we could talk about them. <laughs> but they're, they're not even here. You're here talking about them. And so you need to change whatever you're doing with them. They have no issue with, with who they are. Or if they do, they're not, you know, they're not here and they're not talking about it. So let's work on what you can control, and that's you. I love it. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. So, Nedra, we do two things on every podcast, and one of them is the drink of the day. So I would love for us, sadly, we're not together. This is our virtual podcast today. But if we were together, we would both enjoy this drink of the day. So I'm going to I'm going to show you the drink of the day that I've created oh. in your honor. Isn't this beautiful? It's so pretty. What is that? This is called the Tropical Tom Collins with Boundaries. <laughs> now, all of the ingredients in this cocktail are good at setting boundaries because it's a layered drink. And I want all Ooh. of our listeners out there to go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com and look at a photo of this drink because it is truly beautiful. It really is layered in colors and in the ingredients. And all of this is in your honor. And I also have the recipe on there. It has one half ounce peach nectar, one half ounce of pineapple juice, one ounce of lemon juice, and one tablespoon of simple syrup. Also, two ounces of club soda and one and a half ounce of Empress Gin, which is a beautiful blue color. In a cocktail shaker, you add the peach nectar, pineapple, lemon juice, and simple syrup. Fill the shaker halfway with ice and shake for 30 seconds. Strain into a tall glass filled with fresh crushed ice. Then layer the club soda first and then the Empress Gin. To layer the ingredients correctly, use the back of a spoon to gently pour them on the top of each other. This drink is truly gorgeous, just as you are, Nedra. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. And I'm eyeing the ice because it looks like those small soft cubes. Yes. Which in pregnancy, I'm like, who has the small soft cubes? What restaurant can yes. I go to and get a cup of ice? Yes. Do you know what I call this? I call this sonic ice. You remember oh, Sonic yes. Drive-In? Oh, they have great ice at Sonic. Yes, yes they, they do. do. We have an ice maker here in the office that makes this ice. Oh, 
Yeah. So cheers to you. That's in your It'll honor. have you boundless in a bit. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, we've all heard the phrase, pick your battles. Do you agree or disagree with this sentiment? I'm 50-50 on this. I think we are not the best at picking which battles we should have sometimes, but I also think we underpick our battles. So we'll allow things to go on for so long because we are convincing ourselves it's not a big deal. And I think lots of the things that we think about and especially the things that we ruminate about over and over, we need to talk about. And so I don't want you to think like you have to have a really big issue, but if there is something that you're thinking about um, constantly or something that is bothering you for several hours, no matter how big or small it is, you should bring it up. I'm often amazed at the things we talk about and be like, this isn't a big deal. And I like when you're talking about it, so it, it must be a big deal. So let's talk about it. And so anything that you're maybe overthinking about, that is probably a big deal. Oh, that's so true. So can you explain why so many people blame themselves when other people treat them poorly? You mentioned earlier how kids feel like everything is about them. I think inside of us, we still have that little part of ourselves where we feel like everything is about us. So if someone is doing something, it is about us. We walk into a room, it's like they're staring at us. And it's like, actually, they're looking at the ceiling, you know, or, you know, anything could be happening. So I think there is this part of us that is self-centered, where we are just like, things are about us, even if, if they aren't. And I think the best way to figure out when they are about us is, you know, ask questions. Because sometimes people aren't thinking about you, even in their preferences, even with their boundaries. A lot of times people have things that were in place before you came along. You talked about pouting. You've been pouting your whole life. You didn't pout when you got married, this is a part of who you are. So yes, it's happening to your husband, but it is not personal. It's your own way of coping. So, so often what others are doing or, you know, their reaction to things is really not about you. It is about their story and so many things that happened before you. So true. I love that. Thank you. Another common thing we hear or say is, oh, that's just how they are. Do you think when we all say that, are we giving them a way out or are we giving ourselves a way out? We are giving ourselves a way to stay stuck. <laughs> Nobody's getting out because it's really a big excuse. And we have bought into the belief people cannot change. And I've seen a lot of people change. Um, changed, you changed, you know, so many, so many things have, have changed about us. And I think other people are capable of change. So when we say, you know, that's just the way they are, we are expressing that we are willing to deal with some dysfunction from this person because there's nothing that can make them a better person. And we have to have a philosophy around staying in this relationship or allowing this treatment. So we come up with, that's just the way they are. But with that, you don't have to deal with it. You have a choice in what you accept from other people. And some things are just unacceptable. Yes. Sometimes I'll say, well, no one's perfect. And I think when I catch myself saying that, I'm thinking, oh, everyone knows that because there is no one that's perfect. Do you think mm. a lot of people will say things like that because they are trying to not admit to themselves that there's an issue they need to deal with in that relationship? Yeah, we're waiting on a really big issue. It's like you, I remember I was, I was dating a guy and I wanted to break up with him and I didn't have a big reason. And everybody told me that you don't even have a reason. Like he's nice, he's this. And I'm like, yeah, I just want to move on. I didn't even explain. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's just not work. Like it wasn't a big reason. And that was really problematic for people that I couldn't come up with like this big juicy. So, like, and I'm like, you know, I think sometimes 
things just don't work or people just don't work for us and we don't have to have these these big huge reasons yes people are human um i am human and i have flaws but do we have to have big problems to be tired of things do we have to have huge reasons to want to change careers or not do this hobby anymore or whatever it is. One of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. What I love about this movie is he tries all these things and he just quits them for no reason. It's just like, I'm done shrimp boating. I'm done running across the country. And he moves on to this other thing and he, it, starts at beginner level, excels, becomes an expert. And he's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just done with this thing. No reason, no rationale, just, no. You're so right, because when he was walking across country and then he just came to a mm -hmm. stop in the middle of the road. Just stop. And mm -hmm. quit. Because he's and like, they were like, why are you stopping? He's like, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm done walking. <laughs> and he had that right. Yeah, I think we have the right to do that. Like some, and, and, and it's an encouragement to quit things, but it's also, it is encouragement to not look for these big reasons to bring up an issue or to be tired of something because often we won't say anything because we're waiting for this big thing. And sometimes it's really not that big and it's still problematic. You know, when you said I was dating a guy and I just simply didn't want to date him anymore. I wanted to break up, but I didn't have this big reason. And I think that's huge that people do think that they have to have a big reason to end relationships, to change relationships, friendships. And, and I love that you say you don't have to have a huge, big reason. Well, in hindsight, the big reason was I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied in the relationship. That was a big reason, but at the time, I couldn't put words to it. And so it goes back to what I said about my daughter. Maybe in 10 years, she'll know why she hates nuts, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the texture, whatever. But right now, she has no clue. She just knows I don't like it. And I feel like it was the same way with that thing. At uh -huh. that time, I was just like, it doesn't feel right. I just, eh, I don't know. And in hindsight, it's like, that was not the relationship I was supposed to be in. I was not happy. I didn't know enough about myself to be in that sort of relate. Like so uh -huh. many things now that I could think about, but in that moment, it was just like constant discomfort. That's all I knew. I love that. And I love that the listeners out there are hearing you say, if it's yeah, not working yeah. for you. Be, be like Forrest. Yeah, <laughs> be like Forrest. So do you have any tips about introducing new boundaries in a long-standing relationship? Start today. And you don't have to go back in history and point out every boundary violation. But if there have been some things, I promise you it'll come back up. <laughs> it's just like the next time they do it, be clear about what you want to say or how you want to respond to it. Don't continue to allow things to go on because you've allowed them in the past, you can change at any moment. And something could have been okay for a really long time, but today maybe you have changed in some ways, you have new information. And think about when they said, stop using Q-tips, they go too far in your ear, or babies can't use baby powder, all of these things. We shift, we change. Now you can barely find baby powder. <laughs> you know, it's one of these things that it is okay to incorporate something new at any point. And in your relationships with your parents, with your partner, you can say today what that boundary is. And if there has been some issues in the past with you trying to implement some boundaries, I think keeping it short and simple is best because you might be talked out of it if you're trying to use this, you know, long paragraph and explain yourself and ask for feedback. Just maybe saying one sentence or if the one word of no could work, use that. If you need to say, um, I would like you to blank, use that. But don't try to stress yourself out looking for the perfect words. Just think of, in this situation, what do I need? What do I want? And just start the sentence with, I want, I need. Uh -huh. 
Uh-huh. And do you agree that it's not always just one conversation? Prepare yourself to have a lot of conversations about it. It depends. You know, we know our people better than, you know, you, you know how your mom will respond because you've probably done something before. And for some people, it's enough for you to just have that one conversation. They'll get it. But there are some people where there may be, you know, several conversations over several months and it goes back to people believing that it is about them. And it is it is sort of about them, but really it's also 99% about me and my needs and, you know, what, what I'm requesting in this relationship. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So I would really like to talk all about your New York Times bestselling book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. How can your new book help the Secret Squad in their personal work with boundaries? Well, this book takes you through the work of what is a boundary, how to communicate the boundary, and then how to do it in various areas of your life. So work, family, romantic relationships, friendships, technology, which are key dimensions in which we function. And because I am a therapist. I have included so many scripts because that is the number one question. How do I say this? How do I do that? This is how you say it. This is how you implement it. This is what a violation may look like. But a lot of the work of boundaries is really helping people to practice. And so the book will help you understand what a boundary really is and practice setting them. Oh, that's wonderful. I spoke earlier about the two things we do with every podcast. The second one is we play a game. How do you feel about playing games? I'm open. Oh, good. Good. Okay. So now we've talked a lot about setting boundaries, but that shouldn't be confused with letting your walls down and having the courage to be vulnerable. Is that right, Nedra? Mm-hmm. hmm <laughs> So to honor setting boundaries while still connecting with the ones we love, we're going to play a I've Got a Secret favorite, We're Not Really Strangers. So this is a game that the creator of this game was on a, a podcast very early on when we started. So I have this game. You have this game? Yes, I, I love, love it. I love the game too. So we'll go back and forth answering the prompts on our cards and getting to know each other on a deeper level. So I have the three cards here. I'll read your question that's going to be for me. For yourself. Okay. But this is my question to you. Do I seem like more of a creative or analytical type? I'm asking you. Analytical. Only because you were going back and figuring out these parts of yourself. Great. I love that. Okay. So now you're going to be asking me this question. Do you think I fall in love easily? Why or why not? So you just asked me this question. Uh, I think that you do not fall in love easily. I do not think that. I think that you have a very smart, brilliant mind and I think that you know exactly what you want. And when you are looking for love, you look at every angle and every aspect of the person, and then you decide. This is true. Yay. Okay, so here's the next question I'm asking you. What is something you wouldn't want to change about yourself? Um. I would say my tenacity. I think that when I want something, I am willing to work fairly hard to get it. And when people say I can't do things, it is quite motivating. We've done a lot of things just based on someone saying, I don't know if you'd be able to do that. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Let me see. Um, Just having the, and it's not necessarily prove people wrong, but I want to achieve things that I don't even think I can do sometimes. So it is it is very fun, um, like, achieving these goals that, like, oh, my gosh, she did it. I love that. You love a good challenge. I, I like a good self-challenge. I'm not a very competitive person, but I like a good challenge for myself. Oh, I love that. I have a question for you. Okay. What title would you give this chapter in your life? 
oh, this chapter in my life, I immediately came up with this because I have said this just recently about being a grandmother because we have three grandchildren. Avery Elizabeth is 11 and London Philip will turn 10 at the end of August. So the children from our oldest son and daughter-in-law, Erica, Jay and Erica. And they're just so precious and adorable. And then our youngest son, Jordan, and our daughter-in-law, Morgan, just gave us a granddaughter three months ago. So we have now three grandchildren. And I just have said, I'm in the dessert phase of my life because our children are grown, happily married. They have their families And Philip and I are just loving life. We just talk all the time about what it means to us that our children are happy and we're getting to watch them experience the families they've created, their marriages, and we're enjoying our life together. But the grandchildren have given us a whole new love of life. And so I'm calling it the dessert phase of my life. I love that. (laughs) That sounds so good. Thank you. So your next question, the last one, in a word, how would you describe our conversation? Glorious. Oh, that just gave me chills and made me tear up. I love that word. You're welcome. Number three, what do you think my superpower is? You have to answer this about me. Oh, I think you have the ability to enter my heart immediately. You're so warm and genuine. And the moment we met, I felt you enter my heart. Mm. I wonder if that's what made me a therapist, like just talking to people. I feel that that is a superpower of yours. I think that's why you're a therapist, Mm. because you made me feel as if we had known each other our entire lives. And I felt so comfortable. I believe that is your superpower. I love that. Thank you. And that's unfortunately all the time we have for today, Nedra. And thank you so, so much for sharing such insightful information with the Secret Squad. Can you please tell our listeners where to find your practice and your Instagram, Q's and A's, everything? Yes. So my practice is in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is Kaleidoscope Counseling. And I am most present on Instagram at Nedra Tawab. I post a lot of content that is mental health and relationship focused. That's so wonderful. And Secret Squad, make sure to send a rating and review if you enjoyed this podcast. And visit I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for fun, exclusive extras. I'll see you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.